always been, and we do have a faithful God. I hope that you know that, not just by word, but by experience. You know, we're in, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning, and I want to ask you a question. Has anybody ever entrusted you with their most prized possession? Have you ever felt that responsibility? You know, I remember a few years ago, a number of years ago actually, when I was hired to be the manager at a manager at, at uh, Advanced Auto Parts, they entrusted me with millions of dollars of their company's assets. That was a lot of responsibility. And they gave me a key to that store. And the moment that they did, they made me a steward of all the things that were in that store. They made uh, uh, me a custodian of everything that was in that particular store. They put everything in their store under my care. I was a manager of all those resources. I was there to protect it and to uh, do with those resources exactly what they asked me to do. You know, as I was thinking about when I worked at Advanced Auto Parts, you know, I didn't own one thing at Advanced Auto Parts. I didn't own one thing. Uh, I, I didn't even own any stock in Advanced Auto Parts. When I worked there, nobody owned stock. It was owned by one man named Nick Talbot. He was the sole owner of Advanced Auto Parts. And uh, Nick Talbot wanted me to do some things for him. Number one, he wanted me to protect his merchandise. Number two, he wanted me to protect his reputation. He expected some things out of me as a manager of his goods. He wanted me to, to be a good, uh, uh, give good customer service. He wanted me to make sure I sold his product. He wanted me to make sure I protected his name because he was responsible. I was a steward of, of Advanced Auto Parts. You know, I didn't own anything in the store and I didn't even purchase any of the merchandise that was in Advanced Auto Parts. I didn't provide any of the merchandise. I just simply managed what Nick Taubman put in my care. I just managed what he put into my trust. And uh, when I sold a product, Nick Taubman made sure that I had something to replace it so I'd have more stock to sell. He made sure he paid all the bills. He covered all the details when it came to supplying the resources for that store. And so whenever he made me a manager of Advanced Auto Parts, he did not uh, give me those uh, products in that store to benefit me. He didn't mean for me just to hoard all those things. He wanted me to sell them. And he wanted to benefit his customers. And he wanted to make sure he made a profit. I mean, that was what this whole arrangement was all about. You know, and when I worked at Advanced Auto Parts, I didn't just represent myself. I represented Advanced Auto Parts and really his name. You know, there was a guy who came to work with us. And uh, my DM, my district manager, hired this particular guy. And he had owned his, owned his own parts store before he came to advance auto parts, and his name is, is Billy. That's not the real name. I'm just using that name to protect the guilty. And so, um, so, uh, so Billy came to work with us, and uh, Billy was used to owning his own parts store. And one day, this customer came in, and he'd bought a part, and when he brought that part back, it was damaged. It was defective, and he wanted us to replace it. Well, Advance's auto, uh, Advanced Auto Parts policy was if you had a receipt for the item that you purchased, we would either give you a new one in exchange for it or we'd give you your money back. That was their policy. Well, this particular customer walked over to Billy, said, I got this part that's defective. I need to get it replaced. Billy looked at that part. He said, well, you know, he said, there's nothing really wrong with this part. It was, it was correct and right when you bought it, but you wired it up wrong and now it's damaged. And so that was your fault. And because it was your fault, we're not going to give you another part. Well, I heard this conversation. I knew this was not going to go well. So that guy came over to me. He said, can I get this, uh, my money back for this part? And I looked at it. I said, well, here's your receipt. Here's the part. I said, would you, would you be okay if I just gave you a new part and you just try to be real careful how you put it on next time? 
He said, oh, yes, that's what I came to do anyway. And so he, this customer, he left happy. And I was happy. And Nick Taubin was happy because his customer was happy. But there's only one person who was not happy. And that was Billy. And so Billy came over to me and said, you know, you shouldn't have given him another part. That part was defective because of what he did. He did that wrong, and that part was defective because of his own mistake. I said, I know that. I know it was his mistake. I know it was his fault. I said, but the company policy is to give a new part if he has a receipt. And just, be, just because he uh, had bought it recently, he had his receipt, so I had to give him his, his part. And so I gave it to him. And Billy said, well, you know, if this was my store, I wouldn't have given him a new part. I said, well, Billy... I said, I want you to walk outside with me just for a moment. And I want you to look at the sign above this door. It says, Advanced Auto Parts. I said, when it says Billy's Auto Parts, you get to make the rules. I said, but it's not your sign. And until it's your auto parts, we've got to do it their way. Because we represent Nick Taubin and Advanced Auto Parts. You know, I, I knew something about Nick Taubin. I didn't know him personally. But I knew that he could stop by my store at any time. And just investigate whether I was managing his resources the way he wanted them managed. I knew that even if he didn't come, he could send an auditor that would investigate how I was doing things. And I never knew when I would be called upon to give an account for how I managed his resources. Now you say, well, why did you tell us all that whole story? But did you know that God has made you the steward of some of his most valuable, precious assets? God has put into your care some of His most prized possessions. Uh, every authentic follower of Jesus Christ has been given this stewardship. Now you're saying, well, what is this prized possession that God has given me? What is this He's put into my care? Now listen, God has given each one of you, if you are a follower of Christ, a spiritual gift. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a prized possession that He has put into your care for you to use and to manage according to the way He wants you to use it. And it's not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of others. And one day, Jesus is going to come at an unannounced time, and He's going to ask you to give an account for how you've used that spiritual gift. And so this morning, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7-11, through 11, as we kind of look at how we're to manage uh, in these last days, these final moments. So look there in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, and I want you to underscore that line, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak, speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now I want you to notice verse 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. When Peter wrote this letter, 1 Peter, he believed that the end of all things was at hand. He believed that the, the imminent return of Christ was upon him. They realized that they were living in the final moments. They, they thought that, that Jesus might come at any moment to claim his bride, the church. And so he felt like we were living in the final moments. And then I 
started thinking about Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. The Apostle Paul said, the Lord is at hand. And then I thought about James chapter 5, verse 8. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then I thought about 1 John 2.18, where the Apostle John said, it is the last hour. Do you know what they all had in common? Peter, Paul, James, and John, they all believed that we were living in the final moments. Were they wrong when they thought that? No, they weren't wrong. Dawson's shaking his head no. No, they, they weren't wrong. We are living in the final moments. We never know when Christ may come and re- redeem and, and claim His church. We are living in the final moments. So the question for us this morning is, how do we manage in these final moments? How do we manage? Well, one way we manage is by using our spiritual gifts. That's how we manage. We deploy those spiritual gifts that God has put into your trust. And it is, it is of absolute necessity and urgency that we use those gifts. And then in verse 10, Peter says, Each one has received a gift. If you are an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Him, He has given you a spiritual gift to use. The Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift because you belong to Him. You're His child. And so He's given you this treasure for you to use. Now let me just say, a spiritual gift is not like a natural talent. I'm so thankful for those who have natural talents, aren't you? I mean, people who can sing and play instruments, and those are natural talents. They can be spiritual gifts. But they can also be natural talents. People who can paint and are artistic, I mean, they can have natural abilities. It doesn't require the power of the Holy Spirit for them to do some of those things because they just do it naturally. That's not a spiritual gift in that regard. And I'm not saying that there aren't people who are, have the spiritual gift of doing those things. I'm just saying there are people who don't have to be born of God to do those things. But then there's a spiritual gift. And a spiritual gift is given by the grace of God. Look there in verse, uh, I think it's verse 10. It says this. We are stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now that spiritual gift that you have is not based on your goodness. It's not based on your worthiness. It's not even based on your willingness. God chooses through His Holy Spirit to give you the gift He wants you to have. It's a spiritual gift. And for you to deploy it means you've got to depend on God. Did you know that sometimes God will give you a spiritual gift that's really contrary to your natural ability? You know, I know a lot of people who stand behind a pulpit just like this and preach Sunday after Sunday, and that is not their gift. I mean, that's not their natural ability. It's a spiritual gift. God empowers them. It means that we have to depend on God to deploy that gift. And that's what God wants you to do, is to depend on Him to empower you to use that gift. And so a spiritual gift is dependent on the power of God. And this morning, I want to give you five principles on how you can manage your spiritual gift in life's final moments. So if you've got your pen and paper out, pay attention because there will be an examination afterward. Okay, so number one, the first thing I want you to notice is that you have a motive for using your spiritual gift. You have a motivation for using your spiritual gift. I want to give you two. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. We just looked at it. It says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious. How many of you, whenever you're sitting at home, how do you like it when somebody just drops by unexpectedly? I mean, your dishes are in the sink, your dirty dishes, your clothes are all over the house, you haven't picked up. How many of you love it when somebody just drops by unexpectedly? Do you get excited about that? Well, Peter is saying that one day, 
Jesus is going to return for his bride and he's going to come unexpectedly. He's going to come when you at least anticipate it. Peter was talking about the sudden, unexpected, imminent return of Jesus. He said, Jesus is coming back soon and you best be ready because you don't know when. I kind of like how the theologian G. Campbell Morgan stated it. He said it this way. I never lay my head on the pillow without thinking that perhaps before the morning breaks, the final morning may have dawned. I never begin my work without thinking that he may interrupt my work and begin his own. Isn't that true? It can happen any time. And Peter said, you need to be sober. You need to be serious. You know, we've gotten so entangled with the things of the world that we've forgotten to be serious about the things of God. And they're no longer something that really uh, uh, demands our attention. We're not serious about the church of Christ. We're not serious about his ministry. We're not serious about his return. I love A.W. Tozer. And many of you have read some of the things that he's written. A.W. Tozer said it this way. Let us be alert to the season in which we are living. It is the season of the blessed hope, calling for us to cut our ties with the world and build ourselves on this one who will soon appear. We need to be building our lives on the one who will be coming back. Now I've quoted G. Campbell Morgan and I've quoted A.W. Tozer. I thought, you know, who better to quote than Jesus? And Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, in verse 40, He said this, You also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then a few verses later in that same chapter, and you ought to go back and read it, but I'm just going to read two verses. In Luke chapter 12, verse 45, Jesus said this, But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with unbelievers. Now the point is simply this. You will give an account to God, the King of Kings, one day. You're going to have to give an answer for how you've used his spiritual gift. And God is going to come back on a day when you least expect it. You will, the question is, will you be found a good steward of the spiritual gift? Now let me give you an example. I was working in advance one day, and I think about a 1979-78 Monte Carlo pulled up at my front door of advanced auto parts. And I wasn't thinking anything about it because it was an older vehicle. I mean, you know, just an older car. A man gets out and he comes in. Well, I found out who that man was. His name was Nick Taubin, the owner of Advance. Came into that store unexpected, unannounced, to find out how it was being run. And Peter says that one day Jesus is coming back. At a time when we least expect, and we will give an account for how we've used those spiritual gifts that he's entrusted to us. You know, there's a second motivation. You know, there's an accountability factor, and then there's also a priority factor. The priority factor is in, is in verse 8. And above all things, have a fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You know, what does it mean to have a fervent love? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to have a fervent love? That word fervent means to, to stretch out completely, as far as you can, to the max. That's what it really means to have that kind of fervent love. It's like an athlete, before they were competing in the games, they stretched their muscles to the max so that they're, they're, all, they're flexible. 
But I started thinking about what is the best example that I can give you of a fervent love stretched out to its max. And the only one I could think about that really would give it justice was the day that Jesus was nailed to Calvary's cross with his arms stretched as far as they could to its max. And Jesus said, this is how much I love you to the max. Fervent love for you. Jesus could not love you any more than he did at that moment. He loved you to the max. I think about that song. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus loved you to the max. And then Peter says here that you ought to love one another to the max. Fervent love. We're to love one another with a love that covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? It means this, that you don't broadcast each other's sins so to tear them down. You cover a multitude of sins. It means that whenever somebody wrongs you or offends you, you don't hold a grudge forever, but you forgive because love covers a multitude of sins. That's how Jesus loved you when He died on the cross. He loved you. He didn't hold your sins against you. He forgave you. He restored fellowship with you. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean you embrace it. It doesn't mean you endorse it. You know, I started thinking about some of you today are probably, you know, some people struggle with their salvation. I don't know if that's you, but some people just struggle with their salvation. Am I saved? Am I not saved? How can I know that I'm authentic? How can I know that I'm saved? And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, John tells you how you can know. He says, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Do you want to know how you can know if you're authentic? Do you love the brethren? Do you love the brothers and sisters in Christ? That's an ex- that is an evidence of your authentic faith that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So what is your motivation for using your spiritual gift? What would be your motivation for committing to teach connect groups, which you know, used to be called Sunday school? What, what would be your motivation to teach that week in and week out? What would be your motivation to come to practice for your praise band week in and week out? What would be your motivation of taking care of children in the nursery? Or what would be your motivation for exhausting yourself in the ministry of Christ? What would be your motivation for that? You know, the Apostle Paul answered that question in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He said this, The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ motivates me to these things. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says this, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Do you hear the the willingness to exhaust himself for the spiritual well-being of others? He said, though, though uh, the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved, but I will gladly be spent and spend for you. The love of Jesus and the love of others compels us to use our spiritual gifts. Let me ask you this. Do you love Jesus enough? Do you love your, your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to use your spiritual gift? Kind of like how Edgar Albert Guest put it in his poem when it comes to this priority of love. He says, let me be a little kinder. Let me be a little blinder to the faults of those around me. Let me praise a little more. Let me be, when I'm weary, just a little bit more cheery. Let me serve a little better those that I'm striving for. 
Let me be a little meeker when the brother that is weaker. Let me think more of my neighbor and less of me. Isn't that a good word for us? Our motivation for using our spiritual gift. And then there's a second thing I want you to notice. The mandate that God gives you to use your spiritual gift. There's a mandate. Look back in verse 10. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards. There is an expectation for you to use your spiritual gift. Now that's what Peter said. The Apostle Paul gave a very similar uh, mandate in Romans 12, 6. And it says in Romans 12, 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us do what? Use them. Use the gift that He has given you. You are a manager. You are a steward. You are a custodian of that spiritual gift that God has given you. And you know, we're not to harbor that spiritual gift. We're to use it. Now, there are at least two reasons why I feel like... Now, there may, uh, there, there may be others, but there are at least two reasons I feel like people don't use their spiritual gift. Number one, I think people don't use their spiritual gift because they don't know their spiritual gift. You know, there are some people who are, have been in church for years and are still trying to figure out what their spiritual gift is. And some of people will say, well, you know, I'm not going to really serve until I know what my spiritual gift is. And some of you have been waiting 20 years to find out what your spiritual gift is, and so you're not serving. Did you know some people will fill out a spiritual gifts inventory to find out what their spiritual gift is? Did you know there's no spiritual gifts inventory in the New Testament? You know, the Apostle Peter didn't say, now I want you to go fill out this survey so you can find out where you're to serve. That's not how he, he told us to do it. How do you find your spiritual gift? You know, I was thinking about this. How many of you have ever played baseball? You ever played baseball? You ever played softball? Football? Volleyball? Whatever sport you want to name. How did you find out which position you were best at? Did you do it by sitting in the stands? Did you do it by sitting on the bench? How did you find out what position you were best at playing? You found it by what? Getting on the field. If you want to find your spiritual gift, how do you find it? By getting on the field. You find it by uh, putting your feet to the fire and getting in the game and start playing in the field so you know where you fit. And as you begin to immerse yourself in the body of Christ and find the ways to serve, you'll begin to develop and understand what your spiritual gift is. And as you begin to serve in the body, people begin to recognize that spiritual gift in you. And they'll begin to identify that you have this particular spiritual gift. Others will begin to see it, but you won't learn it until you get involved. You discover your spiritual gift by getting on the field. You know, I don't know anybody who says, well... I'm a gifted teacher, I'm a gifted administrator, I'm a gifted whatever without doing it. You have to get involved. You have to get in the ministry. You have to get into the activity. Now, if you don't know your spiritual gift, it means you need to get involved in the ministry of First Baptist. You need to try some different ministries to find out where you fit. You know, there's a second reason people don't use their gift. And some... Some people don't use their gift because they're rebelling against God. God's given them a gift and they just choose not to use it. Some people say, well, you know, I'm just too busy. i got so many things on my plate right now. I, I just got this hardship in my life. I just don't feel like I can devote time to using my gift right now. You know, I was thinking about when Peter wrote this letter. And you ought to go back and read the whole thing. But when, when, when Peter wrote this letter, he was writing to a group of Christians who had been dispersed because of persecution. 
They had been displaced. They had to flee their homes, many of them looking for a safe refuge because they were being persecuted. And so we know this as being the dispersion. They were being dispersed to different places, so they didn't even have some of them even permanent residences. And I thought about, I thought about this as I read uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. I thought about, you know, they were diffused, abused, bruised, accused, refused, and misused. Life was not easy for them. Life was very difficult for them. Life was hard for them in those very moments. I mean, they were being persecuted. They were under the threat of death. If there was ever time for them to retreat, if there was ever time for them to seek a refuge, if there was ever time for them to disengage, it would have been right here. They could have said, well, you know, life's just too hard for me to serve right now. And it would have been true for the early Christians. But it was in the midst of all that turmoil, all that hardship, that Peter wrote this. Use your gift to minister to one another. It's the same thing he told his young protege, Timothy. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He said, do not neglect the gift that is in you. God has given you a spiritual gift to use. What excuse will we ever offer to God why we didn't use it? You know, one of the verses that I kind of look to sometimes, very convicting verse, is Luke chapter 12, verse 48. And in Luke chapter 12, 48, Jesus made this statement. He said, For everyone to whom much is given, of him much shall be required. I don't know about you, but that's kind of convicting. How much have you been given? How much has God given you? Of us, much will be required. And I could give you, I could do a sermon on that. I might come back to it. So there is a motive for using your spiritual gift. There's a mandate to use your spiritual gift. There's a means to use your spiritual gift. You know, some people don't use their spiritual gift because they're kind of afraid. Maybe they're scared to use it because they feel like maybe they're not going to be good enough or they're not going to be as good as somebody else. And so they just don't use it. Well, verse 11 says, God's given you the means. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. God supplies you every resource to use the gift he's given you. Paul, I was mentioning, wrote his young protege in 2 Timothy. And, and um, Paul, when he wrote Timothy, he basically said this. He said, you know, Timothy, you're like a beloved son. I love you like a son. He said, did you know, Timothy, I pray for you every morning and every night. I pray for you. Wouldn't you like to know that the Apostle Paul had been praying for you? Wouldn't that be encouraging? Do you know when some of you come up to me and you say, you know, I'm praying for you. And I know that you do it. It means a lot. It is a source of encouragement. It's a source of confidence. To know that, that people are praying for you. Well, Paul was praying for Timothy. But you know, I thought about this. Do you know who prays for you every, all the time? Interceding for you? Do you know who does that? Somebody better than Paul. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says that Jesus intercedes for you. It says that He is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you. He is interceding for you. You can't get a better prayer partner than that. Jesus is praying for you. How encouraging it is to know that Jesus prays for us. 
But Paul here was praying for Timothy and in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says to Timothy, I remind you, my little son, my son in the faith, I remind you to stir up that gift which is in you. Do you know what it means to stir up that gift? It means to set it back on fire, to rekindle it. Rekindle that gift that you have. And then he says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. You know, I looked up that word fear. I wanted to know what it meant. And, and, and there's a word that we use for fear. It's called phobia. You ever heard that? Well, that wasn't the word that was used here. It wasn't that, that Timothy had a phobia of using his spiritual gift. The word actually means he was timid in using his spiritual gift. He wasn't using it confidently. He was using it very tenaciously. He wasn't being confident in using his gift. And Paul said, be bold. Be uh, uh, on fire for how you use your gift. He says, because God has given you a spirit of power. That word power in that particular verse is the same word by which we get dynamite. He said, you use your gift with that kind of confidence that the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. The Bible says that God supplies us with the ability. God is the one who gives us all of our supply. He's the one who furnishes the store. He's the one who pays the bills for us so that we can function. You know, that word supplies, if you go back and look it up, and you don't, of course you can't do it right now, but, uh, but if you would look it up in, in the Greek, it's a particular word. It's a word for which we get our English word chorus. And so I was trying to figure out why they would use that word here for supplies. And it's really that word that was used there came from a, a wealthy person's name. And this wealthy person would pay the expenses of a director of a choral group and all the chorus so that they could practice, prepare, and perform their duties. And so this benefactor would make sure that he supplied everything that this chorus needed so that they could fulfill their duties. So they supply, he supplied their resource. And that's what Peter's saying right here. God will supply everything you need so that you can use your gift. God supplies. He gives us the means. But not only that, he gives us the method for using your gift. Peter wrote this at a time when people were being displaced and they were running and seeking refuge because of persecution. And in verse 9, he said, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Hospitality wasn't just like hosting a social event. And when, you were, when he was talking about hospitality there, he was talking about whenever people are looking for a place to stay or they need a, a refuge, you let them stay with you. You provide the housing for them. It was more than just a moment. It was, it was significant. I mean, the hotels would probably be really dirty and unsafe, and so they had to find a safe place to stay, and it was much safer to stay in the house of a fellow, fellow Christian. At least you'd hope so. Well, when you take care of somebody, it can be costly. When you take care of somebody, it can be inconvenience. When you take care of somebody and invite them into your home, they might not be uh, appreciative. They might be ungrateful. But the Apostle Peter here was saying that God has given you a gift and you use it even if it's costly. God is saying whenever God gives you a gift, you use it even if it's inconvenient. He's given you a gift that even if it's unappreciated, you use it. And that's how Jesus has given you eternal life. He gave you the gift of eternal life freely. He gave you the gift of eternal life and it was costly. He gave you the gift of eternal life and it was not convenient. He gave you the gift of eternal life that we often take for granted, don't we? And Peter said, use your gift freely, willingly, and continually. 
And in verse 11, he says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies. You know, Peter mentions two gifts here. He mentions a speaking gift and a serving gift. Now, he's not saying these are the only two spiritual gifts. He's basically using broad categories to describe the different gifts. A speaking gift and a serving gift. It's kind of like if, you, if I was talking about a baseball field, I could say the infield and the outfield. There are different positions in both of those locations, but it's just a broad category. And so Peter here is saying there's two broad categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. I think about speaking gifts, people who preach and teach and encourage. They have speaking gifts. But then there are serving gifts. I think about Vicki Simmerly has a gift of service. I think about the ladies. There are a group of ladies who help her in the kitchen. They work in the kitchen. They work in the nursery. And they also serve on our ministry teams. They just serve all over. They have the gift of service and gift of serving, and they're using it. They serve. And I think about some people say, well, you know, I'm just too old to serve. I'm just, just past my time. There was a lady who attended here. Her name was Jewel Carmichael. She was 97 years old. And Jewel Carmichael felt like she needed to be used in the church some way, but she knew her physical limitations wouldn't let her do a lot, but she had an excellent mind, so she would use her mind and write poetry, and she would use that poetry to encourage people. But you know what else she decided? I think probably in her mid-90s, she decided, you know, there's just something I can do. So she decided that she was going to start a new ministry, and this was her ministry. She decided that on, on, on every member of First Baptist's birthday that she got a number for, she was going to call them on their birthday and wish them a happy birthday and even sing happy birthday to them. Whatever gift you have, you use it for God's glory. You use it. And so, if it's a speaking gift, then you use it to teach God's Word. You use it to disciple people in God's Word. You know, I was just thinking about how many people... Uh, we need to teach in our connect groups. We struggle getting enough connect group leaders. And yet we've got enough here at First Baptist because we have enough gifted people. We need more people to step up and be connect group leaders and Bible study leaders. And God has gifted some of you to do that. Sometimes we just harbor our gifts and we hinder the body. You know, this body cannot be effective in making disciples if you're not using your gift. We can't be. You know, just a, a little over a year ago, we took a group to Israel and we went to the Dead Sea. You know, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. And did you know that the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea? That's actually where it terminates. It terminates in the Dead Sea. That's where it stops flowing. And so the Dead Sea receives all the life-giving water that the Jordan River provides. But once it gets into the Dead Sea, it terminates. And it's called the Dead Sea because there's nothing living in it. And once it hits the Dead Sea, it can't be used to sustain life anymore. It's no longer any good. And so what happens is the Dead Sea just receives, 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 and it never gives. There's some people in our church that God has blessed them financially. You know what they do? They just, God gives it to them and they just give it back out. They just give it back out. They're just like a pipeline. There's some people in our church that God's given them understanding and knowledge. You know what they do? They just send it right back out and teach other people. But there are some people who sit in church week after week and they just receive receive, receive, and they never give. And they become, in essence, a spiritual Dead Sea. That's what happens. We need to be a reservoir that's flowing out into other people's lives. You know, God needs somebody to speak for Him. He needs somebody to teach for Him. He needs somebody to minister for Him. God's given us those gifts for those purposes. 
You know, I read about a little French town that had a statue of Jesus during World War II. And, and that little town, that little village was, uh, had suffered some bombing during that time period. And that statue was, it was damaged. And so they decided to take all those pieces that they could find and they stored them in a room until after the war. Well, after the war ended, they decided they wanted to, to, to restore that statue. And so they began to get all those pieces back together and they began to restore that statue, that broken statue of Jesus. It had all these cracks in it, but yet it made it, it, made it more special. But one thing was missing. They couldn't find his hands. His hands were missing. And so they decided they weren't going to let that statue stay in public view missing his hands until somebody put a gold plaque on that statue. It says this. He has no hands but ours. Jesus has no feet but ours. Jesus has no mouth but ours. We are his body. And God has given you the method to use his gift. I want to give you one last point. God's also given us the merit to use our spiritual gift. What is the merit of using your spiritual gift? Well, for one, it benefits others. When you use your spiritual gift, it benefits others. Your spiritual gift is not for your benefit, but, but, but for the benefit of other people. In verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. That word minister means to serve. It means to, to serve others with your spiritual gift so that the body can be healthy. I like how the Apostle Paul put it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said it this way. There are diversities of gifts. Would you agree with that? We're all a body. There are diversities of gifts. But we have one spirit, the same spirit. There are different ministries at First Baptist, but the same Lord. There are different diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. But I like verse 7. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one. For what reason? For the profit of all. God has given you a gift for the profit of all. So that the body would benefit there was a theologian and a, a seminary professor by the name of Ed Clowney. He made this comment. He said, Christians eagerly discuss spiritual gifts, but in a way that would surely distress the Apostle Peter. Their concern is not how they can serve others and bring glory to the Lord. Rather, they seek self-fulfillment. They want to discover their gifts so they can establish their own identity. And so he says this, the point of your spiritual gift is not to... Not so that you can feel validated. The, spirit, the point of your spiritual gift is not so that you can feel like you matter. The purpose of your spiritual gift is so that you can serve somebody else. And when you serve others, the church benefits. And not only does the body benefit, but the name of Christ is glorified. In verse 11, Peter said that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When you harbor your gift, and listen, when you harbor your gift, you rob God of the glory He deserves. We rob Him. We're to use our spiritual gifts. You know, I heard a story this past week, kind of touched my heart. It was a couple, a man and woman, husband and wife. They grew up in church, just like our church. But for some reason, they just felt disconnected, and they began to walk away from their church, walk away from their faith, walk away from God. And to the point they, they, began, they began living a very reckless lifestyle. And this lady said, you know, I knew a lot about God. I knew what his rules were and things of that nature. She, but she said, but I never saw God come down to where we are. You know, Jesus has come down to where we are. 
The Bible says that Jesus put on flesh, that He walked among us, that He felt our pain and felt our struggles and felt our suffering, and that he, then He bore our sin on Calvary's cross. He understands our hurt and pain. He did come down to us. But you know, she was looking for some type of visible representation now. And I thought Jesus came down in bodily form and he's gone back to the right hand of the Father, but he left his body behind. Who is his body? We are his body. If the world's going to see God, then we're his body. That's the merit so that he can get glory. Let me ask you this morning, just in closing, when will we get serious about serving? When will we get serious about using our spiritual gifts? When will we get serious about life's final moments? I believe we are in life's final moments. And we need to get serious about using the gifts that God has given us. So as we come to our invitation time, I just want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment, bow your heads. I don't want you to be thinking about some things. When Jesus comes back, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've used my spiritual gift that I gave you well. Will that be what he says when he comes back? Whenever Jesus returns, will he say, you've been faithful with those spiritual gifts? What have you been doing with those spiritual gifts? Who have you been helping along the way? Who are you ministering to with those spiritual gifts that God's given you? Is First Baptist better because you're using your gift? Or are we lacking because you're not using your gift? Or maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know, I don't have a spiritual gift because I don't belong to God. And maybe this morning you need to say, I want to belong to God. I can't be used because I don't belong to Him. Jesus has shown His love for you. And that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He loves you. And He wants you to be His child. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. But maybe you're here this morning and you realize you've not been using your gift. Or maybe this morning you're still seeking your gift. Would you just come and say, God, show me, your, show me the gift that you've given me. Would you show me where and how you want me to serve? Or maybe you know your gift and you just have been rebellious. And you say, God, I know I have this particular gift, but I'm not using it for you. Would you just come and commit that to God right now? I'll tell you one thing you can pray for. You might say, God, are you calling me to be a Bible study leader, connect group leader? Maybe that's the prayer you need to ask. Well, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you for the challenge. And Lord, I thank you that you confront us because you love us. And you want us to walk closely with you. So as we come to these moments of invitation, we do so with the reality that you love us enough to give us these special gifts that you want us to use for your glory. And I just pray that we'll put them into full deployment. Lord, I pray for anybody here who's not really found that gift, that you would reveal it. For those who know their gift and are not using it, Lord, I pray you convict them. And Lord, I just pray you would commend and, and reward those who do use your gifts so faithfully. And so as we come to this moment of invitation, I pray your Holy Spirit direct us to how we should respond. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this morning?